Chapter 19 of the Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 The Ends Meet. It is not my purpose to give you a detailed account of my friend Mrs. Spafford's life, nor of her plans of work. Indeed, I could not if I would. The story of a life must, of necessity, be fragmentary. Bits here and there from actual everyday experiences. It may be that some have mistaken my design in telling you somewhat of this true woman's experience. I may have been expected to give in detail the management of a Christian household on small capital. All the little economies, the plans, the self-denials, the failures. Such was by no means my intention. Mrs. Spafford's quiet economies and self-denials shall be left like those of hundreds of other Christian women, with God and her husband. I may even have been expected to prove that she found it possible to keep to the Bible doctrine of tithe-giving and yet not starve. Thank the Lord that many and many a Christian life proves that. There is little need that Mrs. Spafford's history should be added. The truth is, I love to linger over these first beginnings, but there is need for haste, and I must ask you to step over a chasm of almost two years before you take another peep at the pretty little home. And I must own that you will find it in shadow. There has been much sunshine during those two years. There has been progress in the mission work to which my friend has devoted as much of her means and her heart as was possible. There has been a white day in her life when she went to the great reunion of Christian women, met to compare notes and devise plans for the future. She has had the pleasure of seeing a great church filled to overflowing with Christian women, women on the platform presiding, planning, managing, with the skill of generals trained to the service, and enlisted for life or during the war. She has heard the voice of prayer from lips that were once unaccustomed to the service, and from lips that once were sure they could not speak, save in the solitude of their own rooms. She has heard addresses such as thrilled her heart and nerved all her powers to new effort, addresses from the lips of women. She has even lived to see Mrs. Bacon appointed a district collector for the woman's board, and heard her offer, in silvery tones, an address of welcome to delegates from a distance. Oh yes, she knew the world moved. Meantime, it had moved in a quieter, but no less certain way, right around her. I hope you do not imagine that that cooperative business enterprise was a failure? I very much doubt whether anything begun as that was, with such an end in view, and guided every step of the way by prayer, is ever a failure. Certainly this was not. The Stowell parlor had found its level. A bright, long room, lighted with many windows, brightened with flowers in summertime and with potted plants and flourishing vines in winter, brightened, the windows and the tables, with every variety of glowing color in worsted and silk. Every step of the way had been a success, that is, after they were fairly started. There were always drawbacks at first with which to contend. There were some to say that the scheme was a wild one and would never succeed. There were some to grow weary of it very soon and abandon their efforts. 
there were some to sigh and predict failure because the whole world did not rush in upon them from the very first to admire and to buy. And yet it had moved steadily forward. It was on an assured footing now. There was every sort of fancy article to be had that you might choose to order, if not in stock, the trim white-aproned miss, with demure face and laughing eyes, who waited on you with pencil and paper, and announced herself the order clerk, would quietly take your minute directions, taking care that they should be minute, by becoming a skillful questioner, taking care that they should be in black and white, with your own name appended, and the date at which you might expect the same, taking care, too, that you should have a duplicate, so that you might expect neither more nor less than had been ordered. So careful was this new firm of its reputation. There was a variety counter, where could be found pins and needles and thread and tape and buttons, of exactly the right size and color and shape. There were endless little useful articles belonging to that class of goods that people never think about until they see, and then know they must have right away. It took a little time to accustom the patrons to the fact that this unique store was only open on one afternoon of each week, and then for a limited time. For the first few weeks, the partners were continually informed that if they were open every day, they would get a great deal more custom. Gradually, however, ladies began to say, I suppose I could wait until Saturday for that purchase, and then buy it of the girls. It would encourage them. In the course of time, this statement also changed, and took the form of, Oh, wait until Saturday and buy your buttons, or your edges, or your collars, at the what-not. For such was the simple, suggestive name that their establishment assumed. It will really pay you to wait, they have such a nice variety, and are so very reasonable in their prices. Besides, if they haven't exactly what you want, they will take your order and manufacture or purchase for you. They have a buying clerk who can really suit you better in the city than you can yourself, and save all the wear and tear of running around besides. When Mrs. Spafford knew that this form of talk had come to be the prevailing one as regarded their place of business, she settled down into satisfaction. Of the constant strain upon time and strength and patience that it was to this one woman to keep all the wheels of her delicate machinery properly oiled and running smoothly, I will not attempt to tell. She had one all-sustaining motive. She knew that it was, with her, work done literally for the master. She earnestly believed that it was not only an institution for making a little money in a legitimate way, but that it was a training school. For were not all these young ladies connected with the firm, learning, not only to earn, but to give systematically, regularly, conscientiously? In Mrs. Evans she had found just the helper she needed. It was her exquisite taste, backed by the other's educated judgment, that secured to the firm its reputation for having just the very things that matched, and that one wanted. As for Mrs. Evans, what had not the enterprise done for her? Of the earnest, active, young ladies' band that had grown out of this enterprise, or rather grown along with it, and become a vital element of its existence, it shall be my pleasure to tell you more at length some other time. 
for the present let it rejoice your heart to know that the scheme widened daily, not only as a business, but as a circle of influence. Nothing that she had ever undertaken, with an eye single to the glory of her master, had so filled Mrs. Spafford's heart with joy and gratitude as did this whole matter. Yet, as I told you in the beginning, over the small happy home there had come shadows. Not light ones, drooping low for a little, then flitting away. Oh, there had been many such, of course. Mrs. Spafford had expected them. She was not a child, nor yet an enthusiast. It had not been an easy matter at all times to make ends meet. Especially had such been the case when extra expenses came upon them, for they had had many an extra expense. Who has not? Many a time had the careful accountant rejoiced over that fund, ever so tiny though it was, which she had been able to lay aside from time to time as an extra. Many a time had she rejoiced over the monthly dividends from the little firm, which, though so small that they would have made a businessman shout in derision, had added not a little to her hoarded extra. Out of the necessity for this extra had also grown great satisfaction. For the husband, looking on, with eager eyes, helping where he could, standing in manly admiration where he could not, was one day enabled to get his eyes open so wide that he discovered even five cents for a cigar to be an expense that he certainly could avoid if he chose, and seeing the example ever before him of self-forgetful economy, he could not but choose. It is true his eyes were opened wider than that. In laying it aside, he first discovered what an almost necessity it had become, and over this discovery he was so shocked that I think he would have had courage to continue the struggle even without the motive of economy. But that it was a struggle at all was a mortification to him. I declare, he said to himself, speaking firmly, I'll never be a slave to any habit. I did not dream of such a thing. If five-cent pieces should ever come as plenty with me as flies in August, and there is no danger, I'll never smoke cigars again. Not long thereafter, his eyes were opened wider. He had not thought to tell Callie. It was such a small matter, and he was half ashamed that he had not done it before. It did not seem necessary to let her know what a struggle it had been. So he kept his small secret. At least he thought so. As if such a husband could keep a secret from such a wife. What has become of them? she asked him one evening. And so innocent of her feeling was he that he asked in astonishment, Of what? The cigars that were to piece out your lunch? Oh! Why, become of them? I dare say they are smoke by this time. Somebody has puffed them into thin air, though I didn't. How did you know, Callie? She gave him only a very searching and very happy look in answer. Then, after a minute, How could I help knowing? Why did you do it, Warren? A variety of reasons, little cross-questioner. In the first place, it occurred to me that, although a very small leak, it was one that might as well be stopped. You see, you set me such a persistent example on that score that I could not well help learning. And then, well, Callie, I don't know how you discovered anything about it, 
but you may as well know the truth. I found the habit had grown on me, was harder to break than I supposed, much harder. I could hardly have believed what a struggle it would be, and that convinced me that I must break off not only for the present, but forever. Of course, the Lord's freedmen cannot afford to bind themselves with any sort of chains. When they knelt together for family worship, which they did in a very few minutes after this conversation, there was that in his wife's prayer, in the words and in the quiver of her voice, as she laid her joy before the Lord, that her husband said, directly they arose from their knees, said it with his arms clasped close around her, "'My dear, if I had known, if I had dreamed, that it was such a sorrow to you, I should have turned from the whole thing long ago. What self-gratification is there important enough for a man to be the cause of an hour of pain to his wife?' "'Then I ought to have told you long ago how I felt,' said Callie, her eyes brimming with glad tears. "'And I think so, too.' At the same time, I admit that she thought within her glad heart that not all men were like her husband in his willingness to give up self for his wife's sake, and I am afraid I think that, too. Meantime, though I am long in introducing him, there was another and a very important reason why Callie was glad. Do you think she wanted the father of her son to set him an example as a tobacco smoker? Not she! Where is the mother who does? And the boy was six months old, able to watch with very wise eyes what was going on in the world. Who is going to say how soon he might have thought the curl of cigar smoke in the air a very pretty thing? Or how early he might have become accustomed to a tobacco-tainted breath as something inseparably connected with his small world? His name, of course, was Warren, but what did the glad young mother call him for a pet name but war? I am not sure that there was not a queer significance to the name in her heart. What war there had been between her scantily filled purse and her conscience during the days when she was fashioning his cunning little garments? Dear me, doesn't every mother know all about it? The lovely embroidery, the delicate flannels and muslins, and cambrics and lawns, too fine and fair and sweet for any but those who seem to have just come from heaven, the little babies. Yet this mother had come off victor. Soft flannels? Oh yes, indeed, they were, in her estimation, a necessity. Delicate white robes, many of them, they too were necessities. But they were not so fine, nor so long, nor so daintily tucked as the mother's fond, foolish heart would have liked, and the embroidery, that apparent necessity to baby existence, if we may judge from the wardrobes of many, was very scarce. Embroidery, such as she would have liked her darling to wear, would make awful inroads on the scanty purse, and embroidery such as she could make, she was well aware, made awful inroads on time and strength. So she made war with the wish to smother her darling under such costly folly, and, as I said, came off victor. It wasn't so hard, after she went shopping one day with a lady who paid three dollars for a yard and a quarter of the pretty stuff, and would not join the missionary society because she could not afford it. After all, she said to Warren, such people help. 
they make one see the folly the inconsistencies in things more quickly than they can be shown in any other way but her perverse husband answered then it is a pity they wouldn't work a trifle faster and let more people see it yes i am telling a true story they did it six months had there been this pretty little new body to think of and care for and not a penny of debt incurred neither had a penny been borrowed from the sacred jewels in the box on the mantel it wasn't easy oh dear no there was much self-sacrifice much planning much diligent forethought and afterthought there were quiet little self-denials practiced which cost some strength of will but which after all left the head and heart calmer perhaps than they would otherwise have been there were industrious hours over plain sewing for certain neighbors who were glad to get a deft needlewoman so convenient to them there was every penny of the carefully hoarded extra used why not they had said gaily to each other this happy mother and father isn't he a blessed little extra and they had kissed him until he cried ungrateful baby it needs planning and patience and sacrifice but it can be done don't i tell you it was done yet the shadow fell the hot days came and hot nights when the baby fretted and moaned and in many ways made good so his father declared his right and title to his pet name these nights were followed by weary days when the mother toiled and toiled and felt she had not strength to do and so left undone with a conscientious self-sacrifice that only those can understand who have been obliged to turn away from duties that they longed to perform if baby had only kept well the long warm days would have been lived through joyfully but he grew steadily weaker and thinner they did not tell their grave forebodings to each other this husband and wife and by so much more did they press heavily on each heart still they tried to be brave before each other but the father's very step as he hurried up the little walk when the business day was done grew to have a nervous anxious sound in it and his eagerly put question before the door was fairly opened how is he tonight, Callie? had such an undertone of pain in it that she in pity learned to watch for his step and to say with a smile when she could we are no worse i think papa yet they both knew that not to be better was in reality to be worse if we could only get to cooler quarters the father said occasionally and directly he had spoken he turned away quickly from his wife's wistful eyes truly they felt as though it would have been almost as reasonable to talk about getting to heaven meantime another anxiety menaced them mr spafford the senior partner of the firm had said to him you must hold yourself in readiness to go to paxton at an hour's warning there is some business pending which may result in our having to send you out in haste the fact is howell and company are in difficulties and i'm afraid at this point he pushed to the outer door and drew his chair nearer his clerk and there ensued a business explanation to the details of which mr spafford had much ado to give attention distracted as he was with the query as to how he would manage about leaving callie and the boy and with the awful thought 
what if the boy should grow worse in the night while he was away? He did not like to admit, even to himself, that the baby's illness was such as to justify him in asking to be excused from the trip. If he had, he was by no means sure it would have done any good. His employers were men not given to thinking of much that did not concern business. Still, he made all necessary preparations for his wife. She heard the news with a dismayed face, yet promptly realized the importance of satisfying his employers. "'I wish Mrs. Evans were at home,' was the instant outreach for help. She knew many people, and they were very kind, and she liked them. Yet, after all, how few there are among our acquaintances whom we are willing to call in to be one with us in perplexity and trouble. Mrs. Evans had come to be such an one, but she had gone with her husband into the country during his vacation. "'Addie Stowell would stay with you,' her husband said, "'and Charlie will sleep here to be within call, in case you should need.' He did not finish the sentence. He knew he would be understood. There was always before them the possibility of baby growing suddenly worse, and the need of a summons to the doctor.' So all the preparations were made, though Mr. Spafford said cheerily, After all, I may not have to go. And as the days passed, and he heard no more about it, and a little cooler weather came, and the baby seemed better, the cloud lifted. So Mr. Spafford was not prepared for his senior employer's sudden message, delivered very near the close of a busy day. Mr. Spafford, we have had bad news from Paxton. I'm afraid our worst fears are to be realized. Still, you may be able with promptness to effect something. You will need to start at daylight. I regret that there is no earlier train, but that will bring you in soon after midnight, ready for early work the next morning. Well, sir? This last in an inquiring tone, for, preoccupied with business as he was, he could not fail to see the swift dismayed look that overspread his clerk's face. The dismay was very apparent in the tones of his voice. But tomorrow will be Sunday. End of chapter 19